0: It's great to great to see you this morning and be together with you and I have an interesting passage today in a way we're going to preach and teach to each other a bit this morning uh, so this this should be fun uh, we're going to look at the story of a, of a man that shows up just a brief time in scripture his name is Zechariah Zechariah happens to be the father the husband of, of Elizabeth and the father of the one we know as John the Baptist and if you Recall the story, you know that John the Baptist and Elizabeth, or uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth were unable to achieve a pregnancy throughout their life. They were childless, unlike this congregation um, this morning. I got kids everywhere, it's beautiful. I got, I got about, There's about five of you, by the way, that owe me, me baby holds, and I'm counting. So every time I go to grab one of the new babies here, somebody else snatches it right before I get there. Summer, okay. Um, so anyway, it's... Uh, He was, he had been childless and very frustrated about this. And so an angel appears um, to Elizabeth and says, you're going to have a baby. And he is going to be somebody special because he's going to be a herald. He's going to be a human trumpet that talks about the coming of this one we know as Messiah. The one you and I know as Jesus the Christ. And um, when this announcement comes to Zechariah, he's a little suspicious after all these years of praying for a baby and not having one, so he questions the angel of the Lord. And the angel of the Lord said, Hmm, how does 39 weeks or so of silence during the gestation of a baby sound for you? Zap. So this man has made, been made mute for nine months. Now, for you women who have husbands, I know that's a delightful thing to imagine your husband not bothering you or speaking for nine months, but um, it, th- this must have been distressing to him. And finally, when time is full and the baby's about to be born, his mouth is open and he's allowed to speak after these months of silence. And, and he's had all this time to contemplate in his heart what God is doing and get himself right with God. I'm sure he's had a, a time here of realizing, oops, I kind of missed the mark. I question the Almighty and um, I'm getting some real serious time here to reflect on that. And so the day comes where he can speak again. And that's where we pick up today's scripture. And it says so much about the Jesus who is the joy of the world, the Jesus who's the savior of the world that is to come. And the passage goes like this. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel. He's come to his people and he has redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David he has said through his holy prophets of long ago, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of those who hate us, to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore before our father Abraham, to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and enable us to serve him, oh, this is a beautiful line, to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all of our days. And you, my child, speaking here of John the Baptist, will be called a prophet of the Most High. You'll go on before the Lord and prepare the way for him to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of sins. And here comes another one of the most lovely lines in all of scripture, because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those that are in darkness and in the shadow of death and to guide our feet in ways of peace. Isn't that just a beautiful piece of poetry and prophecy and and vision? The tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come from heaven to shine on all those in darkness. Glorious piece of scripture. Now I want to switch to a picture and we're going to talk about this. I'm going to step out of the way so everyone can see. This picture was drawn some years ago. It's kind of a modern day piece of iconography and it is entitled Mary Consoles Eve. So on the right we have Mary the mother of Jesus and on the left Eve the mother of us all. Now what I want you to do is a little imagination here. What do you see as Mary Consoles Eve? And it, make sure that you say it loud enough that everyone can hear. What, what are some of the things that just grab you when you look at this picture? The snake? Yeah, there's definitely a snake in there, isn't there? And she's got Eve wrapped up, but Mary's stepping on the serpent's head. Remember the curse in the Old Testament to the woman? Eventually you'll step on the stamp on the serpent's head. So that's there. What else do you see? Huh? Oh, uh, that's actually a head covering. Yeah. Okay. Somebody. Yeah. Yeah, Eve's kind of all hair, isn't she? Um, it, the other thing I noticed about Eve that made me sad is the beautiful, what do you call that, a ringland or garland around her head that used to be lovely flowers. They've died. They've gone rotten, haven't they? And what's she holding? What is, she's, she's holding the apple or this fruit that she and Adam were not to eat of. And, and you'll notice in here a number of things. First of all, you'll see Eve is, she's pretty emaciated. Right and and this thing that's caused her to destroy her own life and the and the life of the world is still in her hand. It's got a bite out of it if you look closely, the apple. But she's still got it right here, and she's been carrying it and not letting go. And you see, her head is bowed in shame, and and the the red in her cheeks is kind of that embarrassed red, not a not a healthy red, uh, and. Mary has grabbed her hand and brought her hand over and placed and held her hand on her womb so that Eve is touching the reverse of the curse that she's been living in and the human race has been living in until Jesus. Isn't that a beautiful, powerful picture? It just riffs me up. I've been staring at this thing all week. And, uh, you know, you get to be my age, you stare at something and you keep staring and then, it, then it's dinner time, you know? And uh, you, you'll also notice on this picture, there's this arbor of fruit. And when you first look at it, you go, oh, those are pears. But if you look at the pears closely, you'll notice they, they reflect the fallen creation. Rather than being round like the apple there, they have a little bit of a reflection, incomplete reflection of a round apple in them, but they're all misshapen, they're, they're distorted. And so in the midst of the distortion of sin and the fall that humanity lives in, here's Mary with the hope of the world in her womb and she's bridging the gap between the sin of Eve and the redemption that comes to us in Jesus. That picture, to me, is something that tells the entire Christmas story at stem to stern in its full power. In fact, uh, one uh, sister in a convent, after doing a meditation on this picture, wrote a poem called, O Eve. It goes like this, O Eve, my mother, my daughter, life-giving Eve, don't be ashamed, don't grieve. The former things have passed away. Our God has brought us to a new day. See, I am with child, through whom all will be reconciled. O oh, Eve, my sister, my friend, we will rejoice together forever, life without end. And so you see the predicament of the human race, and you see the solution all in this picture. The message of the Spirit through Zechariah is, I think, pretty clear and pretty simple. First, probably, message in here in the first verses is that God is a great redeemer. And the idea of redemption is you cash something in, in many ways, for something more value. For instance, uh, we got a $3 off coupon for somebody, for, for a product at Safeway. You bring that in, and it's a useless piece of paper with $3 written on it, but when you hand it off at the right place, that product you're going to buy is 3 bucks less. So redemption always has, is to the benefit of the person who's cashing in, generally is. Or we have redemption practices in our society here in Seattle, there are several days a year, several weeks a year, where people can bring illegal handguns that are unregistered and owned illegally in, and you can turn them into the Seattle police, you can walk in with a gun in your hand that would normally throw you and get you thrown in jail or cited, and you can hand it across and they say thank you and you walk away with impunity, right? That's a pretty good redemption deal. Well, you think of the redemption that's in, in Christ when you look at this picture, and I'm going to leave this up, but for instance, our sin becomes our salvation. Our confession of sin ties us to Jesus, the hope of the world, and the salvation that's him. We get to cash in all our errors for all of his perfection. We get to cash in our shame, and you just, you just see, at least I feel, the depth of the shame that Eve must be feeling in this picture. She's downcast, she can't look Mary in the eyes. She's, uh, she's, she's disheartened and discouraged and all that shame that's built up on her for all of eternity is released and cashed in. All of our fears, how many of us, even though we try to live by faith, are often crippled by our fears, our concerns, our worries. And all of the worries, all the concerns of the world can be cashed in and our fears, Jesus is the name that charms our fears, our fears can be exchanged, our sorrow exchanged for the joy that is in Jesus Christ. And I'm not trying to talk about some quick fix, back of the cereal box, make a perfect life in 15 minutes. We all know this is a long journey and there's still pain in the journey, but the pain in the journey is worth it when you know it's ca- you're cashing it in for the weight of the promise that comes to us in the person of Jesus. Hopelessness gets cashed in for an eternal, unsquashable hope. And that sense of stuckness. I talk to so many people who in their lives feel stuck. Something that's dogged them all of their life has them stuck. And it keeps coming back to them and back to them and back to them. I'm stuck with this. I have this guilt over this thing. I have this, you know, if I'm not working all the time, something's wrong. If I'm not a perfect person and always really nice, I must be defective. And, and people have get stuck in these mindsets that are really self-destructive. And, and in Jesus, again, in this exchange of Eve's hands being laid on the promise of Jesus goes a transfer of that stuckness to a sense of progress and hope. And, uh, I could just go through a whole list of things that represent the human condition and the ways in which the coming of Jesus addresses that, and actually welcomes our shortcomings and is willing to exchange them for hope and faith and love. I just find this passage absolutely powerful. He's come to redeem his people. He has redeemed them. He's raised a horn of salvation. And uh, the whole idea here is that everything that's wrong is potentially made well in Jesus. And I guess the second part of the message that I see here, that's pretty powerful, is that John is given this special role, John the Baptist in this text. You, my child, will be called as a prophet of the Most High. You go before the Lord and prepare a way for him. And it's inescapable as you read this text about Zechariah and his hope for his son being a a herald, a trumpeter, an announcer of Jesus, it's hard to not also be swept up in that and go, you and I are called to be annunciators in many different ways. Um, so the thing is, we can live like Eve, but we can also live like Mary in this. We can be bearers of hope. And I think this season is a reminder that for all the places we're stuck, for all the places that we can relate to Eve, we're invited to a life more re- reflective of the hope that that Mary bears. And we're invited to talk about that and announce that. And that can happen in a lot of different ways. Um, I'm not going to out the person that, that, that's here that's a friend of mine. Um, gets together with with some folks that have a common interest and a common industry. They decide to do something great for kids during the holiday season. This year, they raised $100,000 for kids that can't have Christmas. And he's done this year after year after year, millions of dollars at the end of the day. Well, what a beautiful story of redemption in the world, bringing Christmas and bringing hope to kids who are without it and giving them a taste of what a future and a hope can look like. I think these things are beautiful and you and I have the privilege of casting off the Eve image and living in the Mary image that's in this picture. And uh, I was doing this with some people about a week ago I said, you know, if I were to animate this and turn this into a living video and I got to be imaginative with it and suspend some realities, what would happen is all those dead flowers on Eve would come back to life. And the serpent would go like that and just be like a piece of unused hose on the ground. And then Eve being redeemed would turn and she'd call out, let's see, is there anybody in my image who had a problem? First person she'd probably call in is Cain. And that spot on your forehead and the shame you've been walking around for killing your brother Abel, Cain, that's gone. Jesus has taken that away. And then, who knows, the order of who shows next and next and next in this film, and it rolls forward all the way to you and me. And everything that we've had that's dead and holding us back gets to get cashed in for life and hope and a promise and a future. So, a couple of things that I want to ask and challenge us is, first of all, a test of ourselves. Do we really, really trust and believe that Jesus is a great Redeemer? that he can fix whatever there is. Any chronic thing like uh, my anxiety, my tendency to get angry, are those, am I stuck with that? Do I live in that dirty diaper forever or is that redeemable? Can I make some progress on that? I think I can. I believe I can. But do we really, really trust that God is the great deliverer and that we can depend on him? A second thing that draws me into this text is, do you believe that Jesus is bringing a whole new world of salvation? Because that would really change our social order. It would change our social dialogue. Imagine if I looked at everybody I disagreed with politically, socially, morally, and said, I'm no longer going to hold that against them because they have potential in Christ to become a new creation in Christ and to be redeemed people. Well, how would this change my view of the world around me? What would it be like for me to be a person who helps usher in the tender mercies of God? and points to that sunrise of hope and wholeness that comes to us in Jesus that's talked about in this text. And then the third thing that I always wind up with a piece of scripture when I study it for myself, it's really a simple, stupid question is, okay, now what are you gonna do about this? So it's 2018, Advent, what are we gonna do about the reality that's introduced by Zechariah here? Uh, If your answer was, I'm gonna go Christmas shopping and decorate my house and go on a cruise on a Christmas ship, let me go back to the beginning of the sermon and start over. If your answer is in the midst of all those other things, I'm going to deeply remember who God is to me. And I'm going to remember and practice that I am a herald of this new world that's coming. I'm, I'm an announcer of this new world that's coming. And I think we wind up realizing that all of us are messengers. Sometimes in the things we do, very often in the things we say. And this is our this is our lovely calling during this time of the year is to be a herald of Jesus with whatever else is going on. So don't go quietly into that cold dark Christmas party, but go in the hope that things are really different and really new in Jesus. Envision the Mary here and put yourself in that role. Be be fully pregnant this Christmas with the Jesus that's the God of hope.